hear a lot of outside still. Yeah. There's either Is that bad? a wedding or some kind of dispute. So either congratulations or I'm sorry that that happened. <laughs> it could be both. Yeah. Sometimes when there's young people outside. Or old people, actually. This is a combo of some, some middle-aged people yeah. screaming and some young people. Yep. Oh, man. In our neighborhood, there's always somebody arguing over the last can of Bud Light. Okay. Or something. I don't know, but I just tasted this wine, and it's pretty bad. I'm, I'm a little... You know when something tastes like juice? Like yeah. wine wine tastes like juice? Hmm. So we're going to have a bad episode, huh? Yeah, this it's going to be a bad gonna one. Start? Yeah. I'm we're going to start with Wilt complaining about a juicy wine. How much did you pay for this wine? $16. Oh, boy. Well, you should take it back. I'm going to drink it. I firmly don't believe in spending more than $11 per bottle. So Okay. Well, I spent $26 on the other one, the nice one. Oh, but the the podcast is not worthy of your nice wine? Is that what you're telling I'm all of not, our listeners? I'm not really. I'm, I wanted to have a white, white wine. I had Pilsners this afternoon for my day drinkings. So, oh yeah, I forgot you went day drinking. Yeah, did you get a nap in? No. Oh, we're blowing through nap time right now. We're blowing too. through nap time, but I did eat. I ate before and I ate after. Wow, that's a lot of eating in short succession. And you ate in the car on the way home from the grocery store. And I, you ate before the grocery store. I had less. Wait, 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 wait. Why do you think that? What? No, I had a yogurt cup before grocery. Yeah. Breakfast, then, one meal, right there. That's one down. That's a Two barely one hundred and fifty calories. It might only be seventy. Hey, if you're trying to lose weight, thirteen hundred a day. I'm not trying to be anorexic. You're one thirteenth of the way there. I am not a manorexic person, and I don't, I don't want to be, and I don't, I shan't be. Okay, but then you had some candied pecans or something like that. They were cashews, oh. like spicy cashews, chili and garlic flavored cashews. Correct. Yeah. Barely a handful. High in calories, low in nutrition. What? No, they're high in nutrition. They're nuts. They have good, good fat. Cashews are the worst nuts for you, is what I've come to understand. Yeah, they're fucking delicious. They what, are good. What was yeah. I going to do? Have the mesquite almonds? No. No. Almonds suck. Almonds suck. Almonds suck on their own. Almonds are good as butter and sort of okay as milk. I almost got like the almond butter filled pretzel things because I was like, I "Mm, saw those as well and thought that was novel, but I didn't get them. I also think we're just upcharging to shove an almond in it. And you know, almonds are bad because they're really fucking up the California water system. Is that right? Are they one of the high water crops out there in California? Yeah. Yeah. So like almond butter, not necessarily butter. Hmm. Almonds not necessarily better. Eat a peanut, you know. Peanuts are underrated. They're good. And I they're think cheap. so. Yeah, I yeah. feel like, um, <clears throat> I feel like I haven't seen like a nice barrel of peanuts to eat out of in a long time. I think COVID probably put the stop on like bars having snacks that you don't have to ask for. Mm. There but- are bars now that still have them, but you gotta you gotta ask the bartender. As far as a whole barrel. Of peanuts, like in the shell. I want like can, Texas Roadhouse style. Get a scoop, get yeah. a little little paper bag where you can crack them open and then throw the throw shells them on, on the, the floor. floor. Yeah, that's. I don't think that's ever coming back. That doesn't seem like it was sanitary to begin. It with. was always gross. Yeah, I don't know why that was a thing. I don't know. It feels kind of good. It feels very old fashioned, like uh, you know, pre industrialization to be in a bar and just throw food on the floor. We're going to the western. We're going out west where we throw the food foodstuffs on the floor and then barkeep just sweeps up after us. Yeehaw! Yeah, we like to burn the flowers that the waiter very carefully made in honor of his dead okay. mother. 
That movie sucked. Yeah, it was really movie bad. Sucks so Don't hard. watch Power of the Dog, guys. That's our comprehensive review. It doesn't really make any sense. And I Benedict Cumberbatch, his accent work is so terrible. Oh, it's so choppy. And distracting. And like, they aged Kristen Dunst. I don't think they aged her. I just think she is old now. Well, they they made her. They up didn't to do look, any favors. Yeah, th- she wasn't supposed to look good. She's a woman from the homestead, and then later she's a drunk. Yeah, w- I didn't understand the turn. I don't know. I didn't. She I wasn't. Just woke paying... up one day and was like, "Woo!" Uh, no, I think it's because her husband was like gone, and then Benedict Cumberbatch treats her bad. See, my theory didn't come true. I thought that her and Benedict Cumberbatch would reconcile over the course of the movie. But no, because out... he was a. Oh yeah, I forgot. There's the whole gay subplot too. Wow, that movie is kind of insane. That movie, it's movie is like a dartboard from hell. Yeah, and they're just like, <clears throat> all right, what else can we cram <laughs> in here? Oh, he's gonna have a gay porn stash of the male physique, and yeah. the little twink's gonna find it. And it's like, where'd the twink corner? He's the brother or the son. We can't tell. Oh my god, stop yelling, please. You wanted energy, you're gonna get it. I didn't want I didn't want a WWE superstar <laughs> in the room, you know? I almost said brother after that. And I was like, oops, <laughs> let's dial it back down. You're a little too frenetic, you're a little too aggressive. I do need you to bring it down a couple notches. Bring it down two notches. All right. This week on Green and Lewis, we're bringing it down a bit just to talk about westerns. Well, are you Barney the dinosaur now? No, I'm Barney Rubble. Stop doing, it, stop doing impressions. We've only <laughs> been recording for five minutes, and you've done like three or four impressions. I need it. I need it to be normal for a few minutes. Can uh. you be normal? <laughs> you were day drinking, and then you didn't get nap time, so now you're feeling a little aggressive. And I actually loopy. feel fine. I, 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 because I had the the low alcohol, you know, moment um, over the course of three hours. You know, it's not bad. No, that's a nice space. Yeah, you get a, you get not even a healthy buzz, just a slight buzz on. Barely. And no. then you drive home and hopefully you don't hit anybody. Well, which is what I did because um, <laughs> I was not walking. I was like, oh, it's cold. But it's not cold enough that I couldn't have walked. But I was like, you know, if I have like two or three, I'm fine. The The general rule of thumb is any more than three, no drivies. Three and under, you can drive. Yeah, I think it depends on a lot of factors. But that's an okay rule for a gentleman of your size and weight description. Okay. <laughs> that's so rude i didn't say anything <laughs> yeah but you choked down a laugh <laughs> the the readers at home cannot see the <gasps> and then yeah uh-huh. Uh-huh. i'm just i'm just saying anyway yeah anyway yeah i did not have you know i feel like wine wine and driving kind of bad beer you can kind of just have your three and be good to go yeah i think it's fine yeah. i think people make too big of a deal of drinking and driving at a low level it's pretty bad. I think do. a lot of people wouldn't even have one and get in a car. Oh, well, that that makes no sense. But similar people will drive stoned, so you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, I see that. Everyone I don't has like their doing. Opinions yeah, on these things, but it's also different. Like you know, in Brooklyn, when you're like every, almost every road is a one way. You know. Yeah, the I side think streets, the, and then you just get to like main avenues, and you're like, okie dokie. The danger in New York, as far as injuring any, well. I'm of two minds about this now that I'm thinking about but it. But the public acts erratic all the time, so they could just yeah, jump out in front of you, and if you're like slightly delayed, you're, fl- you're pancaking someone. Right. It's always a chaotic situation in New York. I guess I was just thinking from the perspective of getting caught. Oh. You're always driving slow. Yeah. And you're stopping every 500 feet. Yeah. It's fine. So as long as your faculties are not completely gone, you're totally fine. 
No, but like earlier today, we were, we were driving around as, as one does, and the driving was bad. Even on the way home, the driving was bad here. The amount of double parking, the bus, the, the let's load in a truck, let's get in a van. I'm like, can we just keep the traffic flow moving here on this day? And the answer is no. The answer all day has been no. Well, look, there's always the double parked cars. There's always the buses. There's always the delivery vehicles. <sighs> this is a constant factor in New York. That is not an element, as far as I'm concerned, in the bad driving culture. The bad driving culture is people do not create space for themselves. Right. I once heard a cab driver say this while I was in the backseat, and he was absolutely right. He was shouting at some bad driver in front of him, you know, shouting into the wind. Mm-hmm. And he was like, there is no space. You have to create it. And if you don't huh. have that mindset... As a driver in New York, you're doomed. Yeah. You have to go around the park things. Like the thing yeah. I was, you know, bumping up against all day today was just people that encounter an obstacle in New York and, and just stop. They just stop. Yeah. They don't go around it. They don't make any effort to do that. They just stop and they stop everyone. And it creates a butterfly effect that you know, scatters throughout the entire city well, and slows down traffic everywhere. Sometimes you don't know that the person in front of you is not going to go and you're like, excuse me. And then all of a sudden the blinkers go on and you're like, motherfucker. You have to use your intuition. If somebody is stopped in front of you for longer than a fraction of a second, you can assume that they're going to stop. Yeah. That is a safe assumption. And if you start to go around them and they start to move again, now that's their problem, not your problem. Right. And they're the one holding up traffic. You have to drive pretty aggressive around here. Yeah. And it's just part of the game. And everyone that does drive well understands this. Yeah. So it's not an issue because someone coming at you from the other lane while you're going around a car understands that the stopped car is the dick car. Yeah. And it's not your fault that you have to be in their lane for a second. Yeah. And everybody kind of works it out and everybody keeps moving. Even if you have to slow down a lot, right. you still got to keep, keep moving. And people don't understand that. You got to get, get where you're going, you know? Yeah. You still have to get where you're going. Yes, Mad Men. Right. Isn't that after like the plane crashes though? You still gotta get where you're going, even if you lose a like a an engine. Yeah, wasn't that Pete's line? His dad dies in the plane crash, and then he pitches that. Uh, I don't know if he does. Uh, maybe he does. I think it's Pete. Yeah, Oof. that's morbid. Yeah. Well, he didn't love his dad anyway, and his dad didn't love him. Yeah, that's right. Plus, his dad spent all the money, so right. as a wasp, you have extra reason to hate him. To be like, mm, well, fuck it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. There was no women, just oysters and golf club. What? You don't remember this scene when he's talking to his brother when it's revealed that the father spent all the money and Pete's like assuming that it's because he had mistresses? Oh. And it turns out no. He just pissed it away at the country club, all of it. How is that even possible? Country country club expensive? Yeah, and I mean just, you know, think about it. If you're you could also gamble at the at the country club. I'm sure that could be an element of it, but if you're just having fancy meals every day Mm. going on trips. I think we've talked about this in the past as far as winning the lottery and stuff. And right. being rich is a skill in and of itself. Yeah. If you're not a savvy investor and you're not good with money, you could spend... I think a normal person that had no money acumen could spend $2 million in a year easily. Whoa. How? I would include you in this. Well. I, I think with your minimal money acumen, if you suddenly came into $100 million, I think you would have no trouble spending it all after a while. After you got used to a certain inflated lifestyle, you already inflate your own lifestyle. Think about the candles and the cologne and the wines and all these little things. Now, suddenly, those get a hundred times more expensive. And that's only one element. No, those prices stay the same. They would not. 
Why? Because if you could buy a $50 bottle of wine and it felt like buying it for $5, wouldn't you? Mm, I think there's something deeply cheap about in in my, you know, uh, again, there's something both equally cheap, but also very much like, oh, I'll treat myself. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The definition of cheap is always relative. Mm. It's always relative to how much money you have. Right. Think back to 10 years ago when you first moved to New York. Because I have this kind of lifestyle creep, too. Mm-hmm. Remember drinking 40s and playing Smash Brothers when a hurricane would come? <gasps> or ordering yeah. Crown Fried like all the time because we got it for free? Right. You got it for free. I never got it for free. Yeah, that's because I'm nice to people and I learn how to make connections. I was always nice to sing. You are uh, inherently dismissive of other people to a degree I don't think you realize. Okay. And that especially used to be more true. I'm so nice. You're cold to people. Yes, that's You're fine. cold to strangers. I don't it's like strangers. It's not a criticism. It's just a, just the way it is, and that's fine. To a certain degree in this city, you have to be that way. Street smart. To stay sane. But when you see people more than four times, mm. I think you have to change it, the nature of your relationship with them. But anyway, mm. what, what I was saying was, think about back then. Throw yourself back a decade. And what you would consider like nice or affordable was a different range than it is now. Uh, sort of, but not really. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe by a few bucks, right? Yeah. You'd have to give me that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. I, I also think like, you know, when you're like, hmm, it's it's getting to be towards the end of the week, but still want to have a beverage or, or seven. You're like, hmm, I guess it's going to be you know the banquet beer moment you're saying that's still true no i don't i don't fucks with that anymore okay then then there's an element of your life that went away due to lifestyle inflation but also Some you, sort feel, of you feel worse i'm not saying that money is the only factor involved I'm, yeah. what i'm trying to get you to concede to is a very basic point it's not a criticism of you it's just a thing that happens in oh people's i would 110 percent spend more money if i had more money right but you yeah. already do that right nah, i do that i spend a little bit yeah and suddenly it would be get very easy to do that. Mm. I think it's very disingenuous when people deny this. I mean, that's why I'm hounding you about it a little bit because everybody says they wouldn't do it, but you absolutely would do it. I don't know. Like when I see, when I see the hundred and thirty eight dollar bottle of uh, mm, was it percent? I don't know some kind of bubbly wine at wine exchange. I'm like, oof, no. But like fifty, I go, well, that w- that could be a fun treat, you know. Sure, but what if $50 represented the same amount to you as pocket change? What if it would have the same effect on your overall lifestyle as dropping a quarter on the ground? Eh, but I feel like... Would you think of it the same way? Yeah, I think... Why? You need to explain that. Just saying that doesn't make sense. I just think, you know, like... I don't know. I, I, I kind of get the sense of, like, you know... The way you keep the money is that you kind of go, Ooh, I don't want to spend... I don't want to spend all the money. I think what happens is people do have that mentality to some degree, but it doesn't affect the commodities that they buy. The commodities are the thing that inflates and you save money on services. If you're going to hmm. do that at all. Maybe. The real thing you do if you have a large quantity of money is you make sure you invest enough of it that you can just draw out your average like percentage of gains each year yeah. without affecting the lump sum at all. And that's what you live on yeah, as your budget. Then you have your... You know, your other money makes your walking around money. Your other money makes all the money that you need to spend. Well, yeah. 4% a year is all you can take out hmm. of the gains of that big lump sum. So if you if you have $100 million and you want to, you know, that's how you get $2 million a year. 
as oh. a budget. But $2 million only gives you what? Uh, $40,000? A year? I'm trying to, I can't do the math right now. 2% of what? 2% of 2 million. Or I'm sorry, 4% of 2 million. It's 80 grand. Okay, so 80 grand a year. If you had $2 million after taxes in the bank, you only have 80 grand a year for the rest of your life. Oh, that's not enough. No. Exactly. But then you have, you know, you start making the money moves. So you buy you buy a brownstone for $2 million, you run out a floor and then you have money forever. Well, you only you only in this hypothetical, you only have the $2 million. So if you want to oh. buy the $2 million brownstone, now you have to have a job. Oh. I don't want to have a job. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to get you to understand me, how me, much me money not wa- me you, not want to have job. How much money you actually need to have to not have to work <sighs> anymore and just draw down and live off money. It's a lot of fucking money, especially if your lifestyle gets more expensive because now you're fancy. <sighs> you can be you can be a baller on a budget. I mean, I think personally that if I could get two million dollars that I could reliably make a four percent interest from, mm-hmm. I think I could live on eighty grand a year for the rest of my life, like easy. The problem is that there's other factors in that though, that life gets more expensive as you get older regardless. Yeah. Your I... healthcare gets more expensive, inflation's gonna cut into this. You also want to keep your principal sum growing, which is difficult. Then why not just bump up the percentage? Why can't you just have two million? Every because year? if you start to draw, what I'm saying when I'm saying you're taking four percent is that you've invested all of this money into an index fund, right? And that's on average what the stock market provides as a gain year over year. Hmm. Some years it's going to be eight percent. Some years it's going to be six. Some years it's going to be one percent. Yeah. But on average, it's about four percent. Huh. So you can take that down and it'll keep your $2 million baseline there, which is what generates the 4% interest. So if you take out 8% suddenly, now you have less than $2 million. Oh. So say it's uh, 1900000 now. Yeah. The 4% that that generates is only $74,000. But what you a, keep taking out What 80, happened right? to the rest you're, of that $100 million? The hundred million dollars was a separate example. It was oh, like, I thought I thought this was all tied. I'm like, wait, no, no, no. Why did we get rid of the hundred million dollars? Why is that off the table? A hundred million dollars was just to illustrate that that's a completely different situation as far as your sustainability. Right, right. But it's to give you an idea of how easy it would be to spend two million dollars in one year. If you had a hundred million dollars, you could do that. Yeah, and it would mm. be very easy to do that and fun. It would be. Let's not forget fun. What do you think you would do with $2 million a year? Let's define that as a budget. There's no consequence to spending that in a year. Hmm. What would you do with that money? Let's cut it down to $1 because you got to figure a million of that is going to be your rent and expenses of everyday life that are boring. Why would you rent? The fun money, whatever, or your, or your mortgage. M- mortgage or ta- property tax, probably. Mortgage and property tax, whatever. <laughs> That's yeah. not the fun part. What would you do with the fun part of the money? The million dollars. Let's say you had a million dollars in one year to spend. What would you do with it? Oh, boy. Um, go on a little trippy trip. To or, where? Or five. Where? Once a quarter, you go on a big uh, two-week-long trip. To where? You go to Japan. You hit the, all the continents. You hit all the continents. That's your goal. Yeah. Because you can go to you know South America once, Europe, mm-hmm. Asia. You skip Australia because fuck them. And then you go to like Egypt, like a fun one. Fun old country. <laughs> fun old, yeah, fun old country. Right? Why not? Yeah, sure. What would you do on these trips? How would you spend the money? I'm asking you to actually imagine I would this. like picture to it. 
no matter what country, sit on a boat. Okay, so you want a yacht in each country that you... No, I don't want a yacht. No, I just want to rent a yacht for like a day. That's what I'm saying. That's what having... That can be cheap. That's what having a yacht means. I'm not saying it has to be cheap. I'm actually asking you to fantasize, but just to flesh it out for me. Yeah. You're just going to go... Is there staff on this boat? No. So you're driving the boat? No, you have a boat driver. They take you out for the day, and then they they go, thank you, it's been a lovely day. Okay, but how big is the boat? Little boat. How little? I don't know. I don't know sizes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like, you know, like enough you can fit like four people on comfortably in the like reclining areas. You know what? I take it back. I wonder if you wouldn't end up spending the money just out of laziness. Because like all the things that people spend money on like require some minimum amount of effort and like research. And, I would probably and I, I would probably have to hire someone to plan trips for me. Be like, I want to go here. Figure out what I'm doing. That's not a bad idea. I think rich people do that anyway. I and think you that's just kind way, of float yeah. them a simple idea of like, hey, I want a boat in the Mediterranean and I want to stop in Egypt and in Greece. Yeah, I want to... And then they know, figure out what that actually means. I want to go to Sardinia and then, you know, bop around. Yeah. I want to eat some octopus fresh from the sea, stab it and kill it myself. Okay, yeah, that can be arranged. Like on the, on the you know, how they hang them up? Yeah, yeah. To dry them out? Yeah. All fresh? Maybe some... They have clams? Or oysters in the Mediterranean. I'm sure they do somewhere, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's all attainable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Bippity boppity boop. I'm not trying to stay in like fancy places. You wouldn't stay in fancy hotels? No. Where would you stay? I feel like you could even... Uh, What's the other I, option? I also don't like hotels. I don't know. It would be like... You do like hotels. What, do, do what are you hotels. saying? Yeah. But like the bougie Airbnb where it's like, it's a full estate. And you're like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing, too, just renting an entire estate. Sure. Why not? Sounds fun. But you can't really do that in Japan. You have to you just stay at the Four Seasons. And... It depends where. I mean, you might... Be... No, you could probably do that in Japan. Mm. I think I think everything is possible everywhere. Everything has a price. Yeah. I mean, so... Uh, I forgot. I think it's the Four Seasons. Uh, uh, so there's um, a trip through, like, all like old architectural sites all throughout, like, you know... In Greece and in you know Europe, like they take you on a full trip. It's uh, it's like a Four Seasons expedition, sponsored by the hotel chain. Yes, it okay. costs eleven thousand dollars. That's not really that expensive. Well, yeah, it kind of is. Not really. Or it might be a hundred. It might be a hundred and eleven thousand. Oh, remember. that's a different situation. I don't remember. Then. But the um, example I was going to give is when I was a kid and we went to Italy. Uh, for a family to four to go on a bus tour to multiple cities in Italy, I think was probably two thousand dollars a person. Mm. So, but this, spending eleven thousand dollars for like a four seasons sponsored thing doesn't seem that insane, especially twenty I think years it's later. More, I think it's more than I think it's probably in the hundred. I mean, because like they they they'll take you to an architectural site in like Israel or Palestine, and but they set up like you know glamping uh, tents for you to sleep in. Not that yeah. you'd want to go there right now, but you know. Well, right now is not that different from most times in, in I mean, that yeah, region. That's true. Yeah, I mean, maybe hanging out in the desert isn't really something I want to do. Israel um, now's as, now's as good a time as any. Woof. Um, yeah, I would just be like, can I skip that one? I'll but so you would week. actually like to do this? No, I'm just saying a for example of that kind of travel would be like you know. See, I think that if I was rich. I would want to do everything private. Yeah. I don't want tours with other people on them. I don't want your generic 
setup of glamping. Yeah. I do want my trip coordinator to do all of this custom according to my desires. Basically right. like how musicians have, um, what do they call that, when in the green, a rider. Yeah. Where here's what I want at all of my appearances, and it needs to be there every time. The same okay. number of items and quantity of items and brands and all the specifics are already established. All the red M&Ms. I would like to provide that to my trip advisor and say, hey, at every place that I stay, these are the criteria. Okay. Not that they have to be identical, but yeah. it's like, I want three bedrooms everywhere I go. Yeah. Or, you know, I want this size of bed and this type of food and this type of car. And you hmm. just outline for them exactly what you want in every location. So you have to participate hmm. in the trip planning to a certain degree. Yeah. You don't have to get into the nitty gritty logistical details of like yeah. how exactly that's going to be accomplished. But you just specify, you know, your standards. Kind of yeah. like working with a real estate agent where you're like, this is what I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, this is what travel agents do. They, I mean, I've only ever seen travel agents worked with at a low level, but they don't get into that type of detail. You would need a coordinator that they can, though. was involved with a lot more than just the plane flights and stuff. Mm, they also, they can do the thing of like, well, we know some people, you know. It's like, you know, paying a visit to the mob of like, I want to go see, you know, where the real sausage gets made. And they're like, okay, how much you want to pay? And you're like, how much is it going to cost? You know. Well, this gets into that inflation problem again, where you're not really hiring a travel agent or a trip coordinator, what you're hiring is a team of people to travel with you and accomplish all of these things. Oh, I wouldn't want that. Well, you would have to have that. I mean, if you wanted everything customized for an entire trip, you'd have to have with you probably a team of eight people. No. Yeah. Why? Not unlike running a political campaign or something where you have the advanced people that go there and determine how See? to acquire all the things coordinate with all the third parties that need to be involved and then they travel with you and make sure that that is happening as you go along i feel like that's 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 overdoing it i don't know i wouldn't want to be that you know specific i would just be like find me places all of this would be invisible to you but it would have to be paid for yeah i don't want to pay for it this is where the cheap comes out where i'm like mm, that sounds really nice but can you what if you didn't just give me the plane tickets and the lodging i'll figure it out from there Okay, then we're back to square one where I think you actually wouldn't <laughs> spend any money just accidentally Oopsies, because you yeah. would nap through the planning stages and be like, oh, I was supposed to go to Japan, but I forgot. I wouldn't. For How would you forget? You can't forget. I, I, I mean, remember, it, you don't have a job anymore. There's nothing structuring your time or your day. Yeah, but then I you, think you could forget that you were going to Japan. Yeah, but then easy. you have something to look forward to. You're like, ooh. I don't know, would it be special anymore? I think yeah. that's the interesting question. I think a lot of rich people leave, lead really sad lives because it's not very special at a certain point. Oh, well, that's why you only do it, you know, four times a year. You don't do it every other week. Also, don't forget that travel is tiring and exhausting even when it's fun. Oh, I hate it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Put me on a plane, I'm absolutely miserable. It's not Private fun. plane, though. I would you be miserable? I don't want the PJs. First, they came for the PJs. And I said, I said no. nothing. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, I, I would not want that. Um, just first class. Just first class is fine, but not, not a little. I don't. I you don't. would still fly on planes with proles. You're telling me if you couldn't. I mean, Emirates. Yeah, it's nice, man, but it's not as ni nice as a G6. Yeah, I don't want that. I want to be where the I want to be where the people are. 
I don't see. I never want to be with common people. I get very adversarial about this because I do not believe you. I you love being in your car by yourself. That's because great because you don't like being around people. Yeah. Now imagine your car was a private plane. Is it really that hard for you to make the leap? Yes. Why? I don't know, but I'm like mm, part of the part of going on plane is going to airport. You know. You still get to go to the airport, but you don't have to interact with the public there at all. You don't even have to go through security. Your car goes on to the tarmac, and then you get on the plane. You're good. you're telling me I just roll up with busted Corolla, and I just go into my PJ and fly off to the next locale. Once again, you have $100 million. Your Corolla has been relegated to the compactor <laughs> I feel years like, ago. I don't know. I feel like this is like, like a, I would be like a weird Warren Buffett person, just like, I'm keeping my car until it's dead. You live in the same house in Omaha? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That, that is some dark, malignant energy. What? I don't like that. I don't like people that are like that. I mean... There's something weird psychologically that's happening if you're honestly committed to that i mean hmm. is it any weirder than like jeff bezos eating exotic animals not really but it's like the inverted type of perversion where you're like wow you're really getting off on like being cheap withholding from yourself yeah that i wouldn't i mean you know see this is the thing this is the problem that i have with all like you know big purchases i'm like again Cars, computers. I'm like, until it breaks, I really don't give a fuck. Like, you know, I'm not like... There are people in the world who are like, God, trade in my car. Like, this is why leases exist for, you know, middle class people. Like, I got to trade in my car. I'm I'm tired of driving my car. And I'm like, why are you tired of driving your car? Is it not your car? I can never help but think, though, that's only because you've never had the capacity to cycle those things out on a regular basis. Once again, like if a new car is what, like $30,000? Eh, it ranges, yeah. If $30,000 felt the same to you as spending $200, why would you not do it? What's the, I mean... There's very few people that get to that level that don't buy new big scale things quite frequently. Why wouldn't you just buy the one thing that you always wanted and then you're you're done? Things Because things aren't... Things move on, right? Like, think about the example of something as simple as a radio in your car. Right now, we drive around in your car, and we struggle to find a radio station without static so that you can plug in a weird device that semi-works so that you can sort of listen to a listen, podcast in your car. Or My device works beautifully. It when doesn't it gets, start to pause uh, strategically or while you're Or when to you drive. get really defeated and you just stick your phone in the cup holder and use that to amplify the sound. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I did do that, yes. What I'm saying is, think about the car radio, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so... You're just telling c- me you want me to get a new car radio? What so I'm what telling I- you is, <laughs> a car radio changes every couple of years. They didn't have Bluetooth 10 years ago. Now every car has Bluetooth, right? hmm So suddenly the next thing comes along, and yeah, you might be happy with your 2021 Mercedes or whatever, but it's not as fully featured as the new one is. Mm-hmm. Getting a new Mercedes to you is the same as buying a chair is. See, I would buy, like... You buy a new chair every few years, every few minutes, practically. How dare you? I almost ordered some chairs today. (laughs) Um, So what if that was cars? And you're not into cars, so maybe you wouldn't do it as often as someone that is. But you would still upgrade it. I would buy, like, an an old-school, like, Range Rover or Jeep. Like, one of those classic-looking styles. Cool. But also, don't forget, you can have multiple cars. I only want one. 
but you would have the ability to who's have gonna park them. who's gonna move these cars around on the street you would have somewhere where you weren't parking them on the street <sighs> i would imagine did you also think you would just keep living in an apartment where you were street parking yeah you wouldn't at least have a garage <laughs> yeah probably oh my god <laughs> never mind all right this new, is... <laughs> new topic i can't you can't I, I because i truly can't fathom what that life would be like i'd be like what do you mean you no you just find the street parking I just get very Costanza, and I'm like, we're not paying for a lot. We're never paying for a lot. No. But that's also not true, because we were driving around in White Plains the other day, and you offered to pay for a lot, because I was going to park on the street three blocks away. It was so far away. (laughs) It was so far away. And yet, you can't picture a life in which your lifestyle creep catches up to you. Paying $3 for parking in Westchester is worth the three blocks. It's a dollar a block. I'm here for it. I'll do that. Now imagine a world where $700 a month felt like paying $3. <sighs> it's not that hard to picture, but I want to move on. We're going around in okay. circles here because you just will not participate. In this. I'm trying, but you're telling me that I'm not <laughs> playing along by your rules. And I'm like, I don't know. Cause I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's very difficult. I don't, I don't think I would. Yeah, I, I, you're right. I don't think I would know how to, how to spend you know i would spend it in the ways that i knew how and then i'd be like oops still got a lot left do i have to spend anymore i don't i'm out of ideas on how to spend it and then you just go okay all right what's your next topic you want to talk about it's not my responsibility okay. now i try i tried to have a conversation well, with you so we can talk about whatever you want to talk well, about. well we can, we can kind of transition that you know i'm talking about you know unnecessary luxuries uh i mean being in the joy that is Greenwich, Connecticut is, is a special circle of um, luxurious hell and wonderment at the same time. Um, the, the, the Brandt Foundation is in uh, beautiful Greenwich, Connecticut. Hang on, I made an oopsie. Okay, do you want to hit pause so I can also get a little pod here? Sure. Okay, starting over. Rewind. Take two. I would have a linen service. <laughs> Okay. For 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 you know for oopsies and dropsies. Uh huh. And I would, I would probably just have multiples of everything. So like oh spill on the rug oh just you know take it go get a clean go get the go get it, the other one the yeah. alternate yeah of the same exact thing. Sure. Because I like my things. Yeah. I would just have seconds. Right. Is and you would have the ability to store all of these things, you know. Which I already am like aiming towards in my life is having twos of things. Yeah. I think that's just adulting. Anywho. Adulting like a boss. Uh, you know, I'm gatekeeping, girl bossing, and gaslighting my way <laughs> into having duplicates of all of my home goods. Um, anywho, okay, so Greenwich. You know, that's a place of, of, of extreme luxury where the Greenwich Academy costs, what was it, $46,000 a year? And then $50,000 when you get into, like, high school? Yeah, I can't remember, but it was a progressive scale. It was, you know, pre-connecting, which is, and I was like, what is what is this? Pre-connecting and connecting is expensive for kindergarten. I think pre-connecting might be synonymous with pre-K, which means yeah. they're four years old. Yeah. Yeah. So $46,000 to send a toddler to daycare, basically. Yeah. Which, sure. Why not? You could just buy an iPad and give it to them. I, you know, I'm going to be like a tech person, be like, they don't even need to go to school. They're rich forever. Like, just get the tutor to come every day, and then why are they going to play with other people? 
Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I guess they need to be socialized enough to attend dinner parties and I mean, they have to be a bon vivant. Well, know? they have to be connecting so that that way like when they, you know, take over, you know, the empires of their fathers and their mothers that they have other friends that they've known forever so they can all do it, you know, hereditarily. Yeah, that's right. Um but you know, downtown Greenwich you were you were nonplussed by. Uh yeah, no, it doesn't it doesn't look nice. I mean, it just looks like country or like suburbs. It's suburbs, but with a Louis, you know? Yeah, it's very unimpressive. It does just look like, it looks like a suburb of Cleveland, but with a Louis. Yeah. Slightly newer. Eh, newish, yeah. But like with old, like, East Coast cladding. Not even, sort of. Some of it. I guess. Eh, not much. It's not like, it's not like Long Island. It's not that dissimilar from Long Island at all. Uh, yeah, that's maybe the sad part. But at least in Long Island, you're like, ooh, beach. In Connecticut, you're like, where's the beach? I thought of the Wendy's ad for a second. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs> we can't bring that up again. No. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, a, I don't know who watches polo, who plays polo, why is polo. Like, I, I don't understand like cosplaying as British aristocracy as Americans. I, I fully don't get it. And the Brat Foundation, the polo field, ponies. Why are you giving me the look? Do you want to explain what you're talking about? Oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> the reason why... That's we're... why I'm giving you the look. I'm letting you lead now. And well, then I, I, and... I brought it up before the oopsies, before BS, before spill, before oopsies. For oopsie spilled boss POS. <laughs> um, um, and then we're circling back to that. So we went on a little journey to um, to Greenwich to see some David Sally. And then. <laughs> and then. It, you, I, 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 I'll start participating <laughs> you're again. You're making in, me very uncomfortable. Yeah, I'll start participating like again this. in a minute, but. I'm just trying to give you a taste of what it's like. I hate that so much. Do you like it? No. Does it feel good? No, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not inti- I was not intentionally trying to I know, but gaslight I, you on, on I, well, spending money. I am money. trying to gaslight you I know. Now, now you're girl bossing me, I and am, I don't like it. I am girl bossing and gaslighting my way back to hosting this <laughs> I show. Hate this so much. <laughs> this is bullshit. Readers, write in. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. If you can't stand the gatekeeping and the girl bossing, write in. I'm really sorry for that 10 minutes that was completely unlistenable, but that's <laughs> what happens. That's what happens when nobody drives. But I was driving all weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So strange. Yeah. Did you feel powerful? I did feel powerful. I like listening to my stories as opposed to your stories. Uh-huh. That's primarily why I like to drive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we went up to Connecticut. To the Brandt Foundation. How did it feel, by the way, to have no one having big passenger energy? You were very quiet and respectful the entire drive up there. Yes. I did really appreciate because that. Because if I'm being escorted around, I'm going to go, okay, I will listen to fucking unlistenable come town. And racial- that was today to the grocery store. Sunday <sighs> is come town day. I didn't put you through that on the way up to the Brandt Foundation. I had a little more class than that. Yeah, we were listening to World War One about stuff. <laughs> yeah, my favorite podcast, World War One and stuff. <laughs> it's where I get all my war and my stuff. I mean, okay. Um, what did you think of that, by the way? I couldn't tell if you were listening attentively or if you just were being nice. 
some of it i was listening to attentively but then sometimes i was just staring out the window and i was like oh the radio's on we're in a different part of uh the western front oh oops that's okay. I mean, that's a nice part about being a passenger, you know? You get to enjoy the scenery on your way up. Yeah, it was like, ooh. It's a different experience completely, because when you're driving, you can't really... Uh, you're not looking at the, the things. can't yeah. enjoy the pleasures. No. I not, mean... Not that it was too beautiful, but it, we had a nice day. It was... There was foliage, a lot of it on the ground, but, you know. Yeah. I got to look at the, the houses and stuff, mm-hmm. and the roadside attractions, and go, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> yeah but i did appreciate that y- you were a, p- a pleasant passenger but we did get a nice uh early start yes early ish an hour later than i would have liked but it turned out yeah, to be just it was fine we kind got of there, right on time we got there right on time so yeah we went up to the brand foundation because david sally is having a show that's up till april it's kind of a a very limited retrospective it's very small they don't really call it that small. but no. that is what it is i mean it has work from all eras yeah, yeah. but a lot of weird little little new ones that you're like, hmm, okay. Like a lot of like ladies doing yoga, but half drawn. Well, yeah. The pervy paintings, little pervy paintings. Yeah. And then little little smushies on paper on linen for no reason. There's a lot of things on things for no reason but luxury to go back to that. There's a lot of like, here's my archival charcoal print glued onto thing on linen like paint on towel on linen and you're like why not just stretch again i said this when we were there i was like why didn't you just we're getting a little in the weeds here why I don't mean... we why don't we back okay, up fine. so that there's a coherent line of thought behind okay. our behind our speech overrated but okay <laughs> all right so oh you God. so you walk <laughs> so you walk in there's about 22 ladies who lunch Right in the door. Well, the thing about the Brandt Foundation is that really they only do guided tours. The reason we had to go up kind of early on a Saturday was that there's a real limited window once a week where you can get in there and walk around on your own. The rest of the yeah. time, it's guided tours only. And yeah. so even during the open hours, there's also a guided tour going on, which Correct. is what most of the people are there for. Yeah. So there's a bunch of uh, wealthy white women named Linda, all with... Uh, too much blonde dye over very coarse hair yeah there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, balayage going on and there and uh, a few reluctant husbands looking senile and bored i only saw like three husbands and then one poor 19 year old kid who has to corral this entire experience he looked 23 like maybe just graduated a art history program maybe who knows yeah we were speculating that he must be from up there because how else would a, young, would a young kid really travel up from New York to the Brandt Foundation every day? No. To lead a tour ineptly? I mean, maybe. Maybe. But anyway, so what happened when we when we got there, it's really confusing because there's no signage at all. There's no signage that it is the Brandt Foundation. There's no signage about where you should park. There's no signage about which door is the right door to walk into. And it's a big barn-style building on a large piece of property. So it's kind of hard to tell what to do. Yeah. So we went to the wrong door, and then we went to the right door, but we tried to open the wrong right door, and then yeah. eventually found the correct door. And what did you discover later? Oh, that happened. Yeah, I mean, you know, what? One of the Brendas fully ripped the handle off of the Brandt Foundation door, 
that was bolted onto the wooden door with how many drywall screws? About five. Yeah. So someone went hoard on that door. Really wanted to get into that door. And then they just, there's 700 like cigarette ashtray galvanized buckets around the thing. And this handle was then just in the ciggy bucket. Yeah. Which, okay, sure. Along the lines of like the bad drivers and just not having any forward progress when they need to. For some reason, the old rich women have the inverse problem. Like, who goes and jiggles a doorknob and doesn't realize that it's locked and just keeps doing that so many times that they rip it that they rip it off, off its hinges? I, I mean, don't know. It's kind of impressive, though. Pilates works. Yeah, it does work. You know, Gustav, the trainer. Those those toned arms, they're not just for show. They're also for go. <laughs> For go? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't want to fight any of those ladies, especially the one that had, like, you know, abominable snow boots on. I didn't see her. Oh, yeah. It was a. They were white fur, like, opre ski boots with, like, indigenous markings on them. And I was like, uh oh. Oh, boy. Apple bottom jeans, boots with the fur. She looked like she might have been Swedish, but also not. Like, it was. <sighs> You know, like, uh, it's hard to tell. There was a lot of, you know, we were in a room with a lot of Restylane and a lot of uh, Juvederm. Yeah, that's right. And a lot of accosting of the poor young man. What if you ask, what if you ask the artist, like, because he's he's still alive. So, like, what if you ask him, like, what does his new work have to do with his old work? And the guy's like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, nobody cares. What I did appreciate about the Brant experience was we walked in and that guy was like hey i'll just check you in here and we were like yeah we didn't make reservations we just came for the whole like walking around thing by ourselves <laughs> and he was like oh that's fine that's great just go yeah go ahead just go ahead no checking a vaccine card no fucking verifying your identity no admission fee just yeah all right fine fucking have at it and you get the whole place to yourself at that pretty point. much yeah. because everyone else that's there which is not that many people anyway but it's a small ish space yeah. is only there for the tour. So if you want to go to the Brand Foundation during open hours, highly recommend because it's a private show. Yeah. That was my favorite part about it. I was like, man, when's the last time you got to just be in a room full of big paintings like alone with them? Uh, Never. It's great. I feel like we probably could have poked one or two. Oh, there, you could have touched them. You could have done whatever you wanted. There were cameras everywhere. It's But it's not like there's any security there. As far as I could tell, three people worked there. Two yeah. research and archives ladies are sitting in the basement practically smoking cigarettes. Literally. And then, the young ki- and then the young kids upstairs. Actually, yeah, one of them was smoking a cigarette outside when we went walking yeah. in the field. And then the young kids upstairs just uh, floundering around. He kind of reminded me. He had Greg from Succession vibes. Yeah. That's, like too tall and kind of bumbling. Yeah. yeah. Kind of, and he, but like trying to be helpful and nice, but just too incompetent to really manage it. Right. So that's all. That's the only people that work there. So you just have the run of the place. You can walk around the property. You can rub goose shit on a David Sally. You can do whatever you want to do. Did we ever figure out what the giant metal thing was? No, I didn't figure out who's work that was. There's some public sculpture there. Some Richard Serra's and a, I don't oh, know, yeah. a tube with a tree in it. Still can't that tell just if that's looks an like art. Someone dropped garbage in the field. But yeah, I don't know. Public sculpture. Mm. You're kind of always in that range anyway. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, the David Sally show. What 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 were your impressions of it? I feel like you're going to give a better review because you're generally more critical than me. I mean, he, here's the thing. I love it. I love a good greatest hits moment. 
but like you know when the greatest hits are all things that live in the city that you live in as well you just kind of go wow we could just put these out and that would be cool too you know um it just well what you mean right is that there's a there's a painting that you can see kind of frequently at the whitney and a painting you can you can see kind of frequently at moma yeah but the rest of them that's not so true of no a couple of them are brant foundation possessions and then uh, uh, others are just from other collections or new or new which it was heavy on the new and i'm like what happened in the 90s you know i feel like there was nothing like representing the 90s in his career because i'm like uh that's not true. There was a, there was a bunch from the early '90s, like those paintings that have the old mastery backgrounds that are more or less like black and white or subdued in palette. Those are '90s paintings. They are. Yeah, I thought they were 2000s paintings. No, what was missing was late '90s, early 2000s, which are bad anyway. Oh. So you're not missing much. I think there was one from that time period. Huh. Um, the one with stupid guitar. I, I, how well do you know David Sally's oeuvre? Uh, not great. Are you familiar with the ones that looked like a photoshopped swirl? He spent about 10 years. I saw a lot of those on the uh, auction results pages. Yeah, that's not a good, that's not a good period of time in David Sally's career, but he spent a lot of time with early Photoshop being like, oh, you can do swirlies. It seems like once he, once someone taught him computer, he was like, ooh, I can do layer Im- layers of images a lot and really fast and then just paint it with a, pro- you know, and just do it. Because um, Jeffy's doing it. I can do it, too. I was just thinking that. Do you remember that period of Jeff Koons? I think they're called the Celebration Series. Mostly yeah. known for, like, the balloon dogs and stuff. But yeah. the paintings The paintings are, series. like, the, the Hulk inflatables and all the whoop-de-doos yes, and shit. Yes, with some like stretchy Photoshop collage nonsense. Mm-hmm. There is a period of time where Albert Ullin, David Sally, and Jeff Koons were all making this. The same, same shit, yeah. Because they're old men, middle-aged men that discovered computer. Yeah. I mean, someone should have cut him off from computer after hearing and watching the NFT on a loop for five straight minutes. What do you mean, bro? We're going to sell that for like 72 ETH. <sighs> I would rather it never saw the light of day, but here it is. But actually, it turns out that David Sally made it in collaboration with an NFT foundation that then bought it from him and now keep it. Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> like, like the Ponzi schemery of that yeah. is very odd to me. That I go, what is this? Um, but well, yeah, we love tulips, folks, don't we? What tulips? Never mind. Is that a reference to something? Yes. I don't know what that means. The tulip hysteria in Holland. Oh, right. Oh, okay. That's a deep cut. Yeah, I was like, yeah. are we doing... But, okay, never It's mind. not that deep of a cut. I mean, that's what that's what the NFT market is. Oh. Oh. That's a yeah, that's a fair comparison. Yeah. Um. But, you know, I don't know. I don't think... I think everything gets a little muddled as a story of, of his career in that presentation. It's not a good... It's not a good representation of his career. That's no. why I probably shouldn't have said it was like a retrospective because the thing that's uh, a double-edged sword in this respect but is cool about the show is they make no effort to contextualize this at all. Oh, no. There's a walk sheet for it, but there's no labels in the show at all. So you don't know the titles. You don't know the years necessarily. Yeah. Unless you're familiar with his work. 
it's presented sort of in order, but mostly out of order. There's no wall text that gives you an explanation, blah, blah, blah. The best you're going to get is Greg from Succession trying to tell you what the show's about. And that's not going to go And I'm well. not going to listen to Greg. No. So you get nothing, which I ultimately really appreciate. I it's think It's a draw-your-own-conclusions kind of journey. Absolutely. And as an artist and someone that's familiar with this artist's work, that's the best possible presentation. I don't need to know. Because right. I already know if I care... And otherwise, I can just look at the painting. Yeah. It's always better to have a minimal presentation. But what what you're talking about in terms of like trying to get an understanding of his career, it's like, he doesn't make, he simultaneously makes work that's very arbitrary and not different enough over time to really yeah. even distinguish different periods unless you're really familiar with it. That's the thing. Like, you have like New Yorker slash Archie cartoon style that's how you know it's new. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. That's At a certain point, he yeah. really imbibed a lot of James Rosenquist. And yeah. um, who's that other even catchier guy? Tom, pop artist that would do like big cutout pieces that are like kind of reliefs. Wesselman. Wesselman? Yeah. Yeah. At a certain point, he got really into Wesselman and Rosenquist. Yeah. And like Tebow and all the like kitschy pop artists. Right. And started fashioning his work along like this weird mid century advertisement nostalgia. Yeah. That's, yeah. I... That's how you know it's from the last 20 years. Right. And then before that, it's perverted. And that's how you know when he was a young man. It was just butts. And he had a libido. I mean, yeah, he never gets like pornographic, but it's very erotic. Eh, I know you're not like quite the audience for this, but I really appreciate that about David Sally that his his work is sexy and sexual without being explicit. I think it's actually a little more like sterile. I I, don't think so. I never get the you know because it's always like at a remove like you like because I think this was a thing like when that uh, the ghost show was up that he was like talking about like no the models are always paid it's not someone intimate to me like just pay the, you know like it's just it's like an old his reference is like oh it's like old old studio practices you hire a model you work with them and then you have this and it's like but also you have a literal stockpile of endless nudes my dude yeah but that doesn't mean it can't be erotic or sexual i mean i think that's maybe where that comes across is that he treat he treats sexuality or like um how do i want to say it like fantasizing or like objectification as a, as a real subject in the way that male artists used to i don't even and it's without apology for it being problematic even is that i just think it's like clinical I don't think it's very clinical because he has a lot of fun with it. Sometimes they're in like leopard lingerie. Sometimes they have the cones on their breasts and on their head. Sometimes they're in like weird yoga poses. Sometimes it's like very classic, like uh, Olympia style posing. Like (sighs) there's always like a flavor to it, like an attitude to it. Yeah, but it's not like a look at me looking at her kind of. I never get that sense. That's why I'm like, the sterility is just like, it's presented as such. It's presented as, here's some naked lady and here's some double bubble. I mean, it's presented in, I, I, I guess I follow you. It's presented in sort of a cerebral way. I think that just has a lot to do with it being photography based. Yeah, but even like the way that the like, when any like body parts are painted, it's very planar. It's not juicy or, you know, it's very like streaky straight lines like 
get the shadow, get the light, like very just describe form in a very like rudimentary way. Yeah. Like that's why I'm like, it never feels like, you know, like at least what we see like now in contemporary figurative painting where it's like juicy and like sexy. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, I think that's, like I want to meet you halfway. I think that you can respond to that and say that it's clinical, but I don't think that it's clinical. I think that it's just presented as if you're thinking about something. Oh, like the aim is to get you in in a psychological space of thinking about someone. Huh. How do you think about sex? Not how do you perform it? Like I think a lot of painters, young painters and stuff today that are like obsessed with like really fleshy representations really sensuality it's all about performative sexuality right that's not what he's talking about it's erotic because it's about thinking about a woman oh so it's just perma horny well there's a there's a difference between like fantasizing or thinking about somebody that you want to fuck and then like manifesting fucking them Hmm. Mm. and it doesn't even have to be that vulgar there's there's also that difference in thinking about someone you love versus touching them right huh David Sally's space is a headspace. That's why it's all film montage. That's why it's all um, simultaneity. That's why it verges on arbitrary a lot of the time because it's like, you know, his work, he's self-conscious about it, but his work is really based on like Jasper Johns and racing thoughts, you know? Like I think you could take David Sally, he's roughly contemporaneous with that painting anyway as far as his career goes, but I think you could roughly take that era of Jasper Johns as the whole jumping off point for David Sally. Which is like one painting, you know, like it's... Yeah, he took he he took a lot of Johns's late work. They were working around the same time, but you can see it, like, happen. Where yeah. David Sally goes from the really, like, uh, spare and austere, like, line drawings on top of a flat-colored background with some charcoal yeah. figures to all of a sudden getting really baroque with it, inset panels, yeah. lots of different imagery, photography everything at once and it's around the same time that jasper johns was making those like trump Loy paintings yeah but i mean the thing that jumped you know the the johns that jumps out is like tennyson and you're like who the fuck cares you're a young at that point that he was making that he was a younger man what the fuck are you doing reading te- like who cares like I, there's some i don't know i think that's a re- very i think that's a very cavalier like too cool for school like young person now type of attitude I think th- I think that's garbage. Like it's totally fine to read classic works of literature that influenced people that you're influenced by, and like have reverence for that and try to use that in your own work. Yeah, but like having people should not be embarrassed of doing that. But having like a billboard size, just like name, is like I don't know. There's something about it that I'm like, it's like a misunderstanding of you know the original use case in, in that of having a Tennyson in like stamp form at the top of a a john's like or or it's just a different use of it i mean he was a young guy like he was in his 20s when he was making that work i know that's why you you know you you can look at it and say like it's a misunderstanding or whatever but it's like what kind of work were you making in your 20s i don't know i mean i wasn't putting author names smack in the middle you know yeah but that's not so bad as far as far as things go like I don't like I don't like artists like looking at other people's work and being like, eh, that's like it what do you well why? What do you mean? I mean I you Yes, know, it's juvenile. Yeah. But it's a young person's work. Yeah. That's what but like you don't want, you know, the way that that show is set up is like the greatest hits 
like that's one of them like maybe that's not a greatest hit you know and like if we take that one away what are we left with we're then left with six greatest like one last greatest hit and like you know like could you edit that i also think it's overhung as fuck but you know that's a different issue for another day but like if you did take away like you know walking in and seeing the the two joker like i feel like king seeing king kong would have been more like ooh forgot about that one you know like well i think where i don't care or mm-hmm. by this point is that when you see tennyson and you're like eh, that's not so good cuz it's pretentious like author's name it's across the room from a painting that says king kong across it yeah those two things are in the same context right yeah like a lot of what the montage sensibility is meant to do is level the playing field between the pretension of something like tennyson and the weird poppiness of something like king kong hmm. also it's in the same room as the joker it's in the same room as velasquez it's in the same right. room as nudes of women like you're meant to look across paintings as much as you're meant to look across the surface of a single painting. Yeah. Which is just, you know, to go back. To so I think in the way that Sally uses Tennyson, right? Yeah. To juxtapose it against King Kong. Jasper Johns would never use Tennyson except in sort of tragic reverence to it. Yeah. But David Sally might be using it ironically and then also juxtaposing it with something funny and absurd. Across the room. Yeah. He's a different generation. He's doing a different thing with it. I mean, you can say that I'm being too generous, but I I would just call that giving him the benefit of the doubt. But like, to kind of, I don't know, this this goes back to like the idea of like, is that presentation a retrospective or not? It's like, kind of not. Because like, is, are all the things on like the main floor the best work? And it's like, I don't know, some of the things hiding down below are maybe a little bit better. Like, like that, you know, the one that's like kind of hiding, there's a, a painting hiding uh, in front of the like bookshop or whatever the fuck um, that has um, tile, like little, it's tiled with color. And then there's a photosensitized image on the right hand side. Yeah, that painting's called His Brain. I love that painting. Why is that shoved in a corner? That would make more sense up with the other things to kind of give you a sense of what was going on in that time. It's contemporaneous with that. Yeah. Those paintings too. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, and even the one that Larry has, which is a little yellow field and little graphite lady on it. Right. Like, why are we shoving baby in corner when they help unlock the things that are stars of the show? You know? Yeah. I mean, look, it, it's not important to me what kind of show it is or whatever especially given its venue they're just doing a little survey of this artist that they like and it's it's an endeavor that has no consequence really and there's no such thing as a curator for this i mean it's probably just peter brandt being like hey david you want to do this thing and those two guys get together and decide what's in the show yeah and what they can like borrow easily attain yeah and then they lay it out they just sit around and do it like it's not a rigorous presentation. Yeah. I also love that about it. I think it's a different situation if this show is at MoMA or something and they do a weird move like putting an important early painting by the bathroom instead of in the room with other things. But this is a fucking foundation show. It is whatever. Yeah. It's, I don't, th- I don't think ta- I don't, to me talking about like the organization of the presentation is not very interesting because that's not what you're there for. That's what nobody's there for. I guess. But you know, there doesn't need to be that much rigor behind it. It's a vanity project. 
I know, but you know, if you want to like, you know, legitimize your tax haven, why wouldn't you like put a little? It doesn't need legitimizing. It's already legitimate. I guess because they they have all the things. What I'm criticizing from your point of view is like, why isn't there more rigor behind it? What that's not the point. Nobody cares. But if there was, you know, this is, here's the thing. If there was and it became like something that was like a little bit more buzzy, then the prices of those things go up. You know, like. I don't think that's true because it doesn't matter what critics and what other artists and what proles that drive up to Connecticut on the weekend think of the show. Mm. So nobody cares. It doesn't matter. if You're not going to make a blockbuster at the Brandt Foundation no matter what you do. I mean, but you could. It's literally just there for fun. I mean, is is the is the plate show that's at the one in the East Village not a you know? I mean that I guess that is just for fun too. The Chernobyl paintings of myself via other people. It's a vanity. It's a rich guy's vanity project. It's not. It's it's of no consequence culturally, yeah. or clout wise, or sales wise. That's why they just do whatever they want. Yeah, but again, I don't want to go around in circles about I this. I know. I I just think it one could. I would agree that you know if you wanted to create a retrospective in your head and like reimagine what should be where, yeah, sure. Yeah, but you could say that about literally any show at, at any time. Right, but that's kind of the fun of seeing like, it, you know, a kind of like, uh, a thing that a show that could be multiple things is like what would you what would you do if given the carte blanche of again if if you have like the full reign of like well you can pull grab any david cell you want like to to borrow you could do it you're peter brown you can you can do it you can you can borrow whatever the fuck you want they did do it i mean yeah maybe or maybe they got the things that were easily available from scarstead you know the unsold lots. They might have. They might have done that too. It but. could be a twofer. You know, like I don't know what happens at that level of like, you know, like artist and collector are, you know, relatively friendly. Hey, can you put on a show? Maybe we can uh, move some inventory here. I don't know. Maybe, but can we talk about the show instead of talking about the logistics of an imaginary show or yeah, maybe yes. what happened? Like, it's not that interesting, man. Fine. All right. Just straight up. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm interested in the machinations that go into the things. It's very weird to me, but, you know. Um, well, but, like, what is a mystery about that? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about this if you want. It's just no. that it, there's, no, there's nothing to talk about. Okay. Well, let's move on to the things at hand. Yeah. Okay. So we kind of got through the first, the first room of paintings, right? Yeah. Which are the old things. Yeah. The stairwell's filled with garbage. The stairwell has a bunch of small paintings in it. A lot of smushy. That are from like this year. I, uh, there might have been like 10 year old things, which is, that's the weird part. Well, I think maybe it's interesting to talk about the difference in the way that David Sally's work uh, functions at different scales. Like his small work is always bad. It's so bad. It almost never works. It seems like he needs a large area to pull off like interesting juxtapositions of different techniques and images and formal innovation like it's cramped into a small space they look like like every pretty good grad school painting you know like ambitious grad school painting looks like a current david sally i mean a, a small one you mean yeah 
that's something you would see like at magenta plains or something yeah 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 you know that's like it seems like. that uh seems like that um you know like joshua abler would make one of one of them per- uh maybe it, i don't as a person i don't know face. about him in particular but it's like he always skirts the line between being totally arbitrary and then seeming to have a lot of intention. Yeah. Like, I think that his best paintings ride this line of having a coherent narrative, it seems like. But then they could but just they, fall apart. They often do. Which is great. Well, they often do. He's he's not the type of artist that is all hits. Yeah. That's weird. No. I don't think that that's weird. I just think that that's most painters probably, especially painters that are a- as prolific as he is. Like for true. as time yeah. intensive as his paintings are, he does make a lot of them yeah. and he doesn't employ assistants to paint them. So it's impressive. He, yeah. He literally seems like he works most days, all day, seven days a week because he likes doing it. Hmm. Um, yeah. I think that comes across in his work too. That's just like he likes painting, you know? Yeah. But at a small scale, they're just too arbitrary. There's not enough room there's, in the container for choices. That's right. There's not enough room for choices, and there's not enough room for narrative either. But I think, like, given too big a scale, there's too many choices, and you're like, whoa, what's happening here? This is a lot. Like, well, there's enough room for some failure in the painting, which is nice. Mm. And he just lets those parts, like, live and breathe. I think good postmodern painters to use a really inaccurate term mm. often do this like i think albert olin is along the same lines even before both of these guys sigmar polka was like that too where like sometimes parts of paintings are just bad and you just leave them and i think you have to make really big paintings for that to work on a small scale if you leave even a few inches of a painting just unresolved or Fakakta. yeah fucked up it kind of wrecks the whole thing. Yeah. You have to be careful about like constructing a thing at a small scale to balance and work together. Like imagine if Alan made paintings where like parts of them were just abandoned or erased or destroyed. Like I think that's harder to do. Like maybe that's why people like Raul de Kaiser is that he can kind of pull that off at a small scale. Yeah. I mean, those are, you know what a four and they always, they always hit. But it's like to use that provisional painting to use a dated thing now, like sensibility at a small scale is difficult. At a large scale, you can leave portions of paintings just like raw and messed up. Hmm. And in contrast to parts that are really well worked out, that balance is kind of struck like abstract expressionists developed this whole sensibility. But like uh, the Sally's are never empty. They're just kind of like, hmm. There's not a lot of negative space. No, there's not. Uh, there's always some, you know, like in the ship and bottle metaphor. There's, you know, at least six ships in a bottle for one, you know. But sometimes you, it looks like, you know, a little tugboat got shoved in there somehow, and you're like, "What the fuck is this doing in here?" Like, like what? How did you get in? It'd be like if there was a ship in a bottle inside a snow globe. Yeah, and it's too much. Yeah. But I, I think there's a reason for that. Like, I think he doesn't leave negative space on purpose because in your head, is there such a thing as negative space? Like, no. Streams of consciousness and a waking mind is always flooded. Yeah, but this, isn't this why, you, you know, achieving some kind of zen occasionally is a good thing? 
Sure, but you can achieve Zen in passages or in part, but that's mm. not mostly what modern life is. I mean, you can be Agnes Martin. You can be an artist that who, whose entire practice is devoted to a type of Zen and clearing out space. Yeah. Um, sure, plenty of artists do that. That's just not his project. Yeah, but... I think I relate to it a lot because it, it, in an early way, he picked up on the idea of just you're going to interact with like things at the speed of movies and advertising mostly well like the advertising is like the the unwanted thought that creeps in yeah and you're like oh you know like that like that there's a painting in the in the first room that's got um a little floral vignette in the corner and then a new yorker cartoon man and i was like god if you just take the double bubble out there's a repeating double bubble that goes down the middle in a diagonal. I'm like, if you just take that out, that's a pretty good painting. But it's something I would I would want to see and also make. You know, like it's it's that kind of thing of like, what if you you know, his thing is, oh no, you leave in the intrusive thoughts. Yeah, definitely. And this goes back to like the 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 lady portions of like maybe the intrusive thoughts to him are just like mm, the libido in the way of getting breaking through. You know, congealing some kind of yeah rational ab- thought absolutely i think to like in a he, you know he's from like i think oklahoma or kansas he's he's from like the middle middle of the country yeah. and then became like a wasp and fashions himself very much as a persona yeah. as if he grew up in greenwich yeah which he did not no i, I think to a, a person like that like sexual thoughts are intrusive to rationality like you just said i think that's pr- a perfect summary and like the grid that always underlies his paintings, they're all based on grids. Yeah. Is constantly cut up by either gestural, bodily, sensuous paint marks or by thinking about women. Or repetition of the same thing, but at different scales. Like there's the one, there's a painting that has like a, uh, again, New Yorker cartoon, but it's like 50%, 70%, 80 Yeah, yeah, I loved that painting. And I was like, huh. That was one of the new ones where I was like, oh, yeah, 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 windows and windows and windows. That's That gets interesting mm-hmm. where you're just like, uh, what is, what is, what am I actually focusing on? At what scale am I focusing on any idea at right, all? Right, Um And then, you know, two paintings down, you have hats just sticking out of a thing. And you're like, maybe we don't need to put a hat on a hat. Like the problems arise literally from when hats get put on hats. Well, yeah. You're talking about paintings that have literal hats stuck on them, but, but the most of the projects are most of the paintings are hats on hats. You know that gesture could be self-aware too. I I feel like you always have to give the artist the benefit of the doubt if you don't know them I and guess, you more or less like their work. Like I would imagine that David Sally's familiar with that improv principle and he might be playing with that idea. That's a best case scenario. I don't know. But, like, choosing a Stets- two Stetsons to put on there, I'm like, there's something, you know. Like, it's a cowboy reference. It is a country reference. It is that, you know, an Oklahoma callback or whatever the fuck. Sure. Um, so that, that's why it's like, is it is it is it both? Is it a historical callback to biography and also a self-aware hat on hat? Yeah. Like, I don't be. know. I, I wonder. I wonder if it is. I don't know. But it could be. It could. Uh, I don't know. Um, 
It just comes down to, like, do you have respect for the person that made the thing or not? Like, I don't think David Sally is stupider than me. I think he's probably smarter than me. So if I can think of that, he probably did think of that. And if he didn't and you mentioned it to him, I'm sure he would be accepting of it, too. You know, he's very upfront about the idea that he's after, as he calls it, like, a not-literal-mindedness. The fuck does that mean? What? That means don't think about paintings in a one-to-one way. If you make an association with it that is beyond the intention of the painting, that's incorporated into the way the painting is made. Hmm. It's designed to get you into that space. The criticism of Hmm. that would be you could say the same thing about a brick wall. Yeah. If you think about it and look at it for long enough. But, you know, I got into an argument on a YouTube channel many, many years ago about Robert Ryman because people were saying Robert Ryman's work was like completely nothing like who gives a shit about these white monochrome things or whatever and i was like well actually you i well you whoa. i well actually to a bunch of strangers on the internet and was like well you know you could actually like relate this to vermeer's work i actually think it's about light and the way that light works with materials and he's just using like modern techniques to explore a similar space of like subtlety and the person was generous and was like yeah i agree with you but you could also say the same thing about a brick wall and i think about that all the time because that person's right but it's a question of attention. Yeah. Attention and intention. And if your right. intention is to get people to pay attention, all right. Which is what, you know, I mean, in the rhyming example, that is the whole point is like, pay attention. I think that's David Sally's point, too. His world is just a little bit more chaotic. Yeah. Ryman's work is more focused. Agnes Martin's work is more focused. I don't think focus is part of David Sally's work. Yeah, that's maybe the part where I'm like, I don't know if this is really that, you know. But it's especially in, in later things that I'm like, Ooh. yeah, uh. yeah. I mean, I think he's the rare artist, but you know, he's he's still in the middle of his career. He's relatively young. He's only in his sixties, I think. That's not young. Yeah, but I mean, that gives him twenty more years by yeah. current standards. You know, like it'll be interesting to see what he makes as late work. I wouldn't. Hmm think it's outside the realm of possibility that david sally ends up making some really like ascetic um spare work and i would love to see a distilled david sally like in the same way that you talked about the ghost paintings and you're like when you just deal with one image and you take everything out and it's basically like structural lines a few colors and one photograph this is what you're doing yeah but now let's see that even more honed later i think he'll get there well my thing is like you know the ghost things do well this is why i like them they're 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 concise in a way that doesn't have the fucking marching band plowing through them you know like i I, I'm, i'm always interested when it's like can you you know prune the bushes to get to like the ideal form of what your work takes and like i when I look at a David Sally, I'm always just like, there's so much shit here. Like, can we Coco Chanel this and take one earring off or whatever the fuck? Like, some, we've got a lot going on here. But I think you can, you do have to accept, though, that there are experiences in your life that are not refined. And so if you're making work that is about a messy, chaotic state of mind... You can figure out how to hone chaos, which I think the best of David Sally's work does do. Like, I think a lot of the complicated ones are actually really refined, but they're about a sort of maximalism. 
there's a lot of artists that are like this that I don't necessarily respond to. Like Lucas Samaras is a good example of this too. Like there are there are maximalist artists that don't fit my frame of reference. But personally for me, Sally does make it work. And there can be complicated paintings that are also refined. But distilling something to like its discrete elements and making a point of showing like this is the fundamental basis of my particular idea. Right. That's fine. That is fine and good for a lot of artists. Yeah. And I think is an admirable goal in general. Like brevity is the soul of wit. Yeah. The old Shakespeare line. Like that's mostly true, but you also have to accept that artists can make work about about a lot at once. And yeah, and of course, I mean, this is an of course situation, but like, you know, when I want maximalism, I'm in the mood for Jason Rhodes, you know, like there's the the thing that kind of always bothers me about the 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 David Sally like refinement of the chaos is always the kind of thing where it's like this is wasp aspirational taste of like we're still restrained we're not really letting the shit shit flag fly totally yeah you know where it's like it's always in good taste this is why like the cartoons are new yorker cartoons or like you know uh archie comic style like it's never something nothing is lowbrow right you're right it's consistently middlebrow yep and that's the part where i'm like if you're gonna slam it slam it ding dong all this nonsense together like where's the lowbrow Where's your high low? I want champagne and I want Cheetos. I never get Cheetos. I might get some champagne. And I might get a, a medium grade charcuterie board, but I'm never getting Cheetos. And I want right, Cheetos. Right, right. Well, you want like Michelle Maulier. Oh yeah, I want try I want yeah. high low. You yeah, know, yeah. like give me Mario with wing hat, you know? Right. Um, but even that's like not full enough. You know, the middle ground is something that is the David Sally, like, thing, but it's always, like, restraint, you know, there's always the, ooh, is that too much? And you're like, no, there's so much on here, but it's all just, like, middling in the taste ground. Like, his right, taste right. is always, like, even lowbrow, like, the, the double bubble thing, or, like, the repeated, like, Gordon's gin. Like, Gordon's gin is shit, but it's gin, you know? Right, yeah, exactly. It's like... It's not Colt 45. Yeah, right. it's not, it's, it, you know, it's not Mad Dog. Yeah, you know, he just doesn't have that experience. And I think largely what he's after is he's a bourgeois liberal subject. He's a middle-class American. He's from a middle-class Midwestern American background, and then he became a wasp. Well, it becomes this kind of thing of like, oh, uh, the the this is where the Midwest jumps out, you know, when you're just like, ooh, I don't want to be impolite and show the bad things of the world. And, like, the worst thing that I can show is, like, a, a little bit of Mons pubis. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like... A little bit of hips. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's never, like... No, I would agree. I, this is a, this is actually a very good criticism of his work. Not in the sense that it makes it bad or anything, but it is sort of an oversight. Like, think about the Germans. Like, Richter has... 9-11 in his work he has Bider Monhoff in his work like toilet paper there's serious violence yeah right and like cow painting toilet paper right we right. got high we got low right. we got everything he's like everything is everything is fair game yeah uh, I don't know I can't do a German accent right now um but you know him uh the other ones 
the other guy who just said light lighthouse tower painting the sigmar polka yeah yeah polka's all the fuck over the place he's literally just like everything all at once together high well, I, low doesn't care in my estimation polka is mostly low he's like it's mostly like spider-man and textiles but his, his we're gonna version, do it big he combines like low pop culture with existentialism like so we'll have meteor dust and like lapis lazuli the material can get to the metaphysics can get to the metaphysics but the imagery is pretty low yeah and richter's imagery is mostly pretty serious um or incredibly stupid or incredibly stupid yeah and then conrad loig was the other guy who just made like lowbrow pop art basically of like wallpaper Yeah. yeah and that but that's the thing the reason why the memory of his work is a little bit less in the greater you know the greater canon is because it's like tasteful yeah that's right he didn't take any real risk well i think the risk is being incredibly boring which he's like i'm playing with the idea of being bored and you're like okay but that's boring to other people to even look at and think maybe then write a novel about like working at the irs right that's risk about yeah taking boredom seriously you're not really doing that you're ultimately an art dealer yeah and that's that's fine and he did that you know and you're like okay go do that um but like yeah no this is good but then you have jason rhodes that titles an installation black pussy and it's just like a party where there's coca all over everything yeah and it's too much yeah it's literally too much all the time and you're like okay why do we have neon sawdust all this hoot nanny and nonsense you know, right? Um, and I, I don't know. Like, I think I that, sympathize with this because I'm like, sure, well, I never sure. like to, you know, go too high or too low. Like, I'm not here to. I think this just has a lot to do with like what moment in history, what wave you kind of end up riding. And I think David Sally just got kind of got the best of both worlds, where he got to ride the wave of like middle class modernity when it was this like utopian sci fi Jetsons idea that was his growing up. And then he came of age in an era where things started to accelerate, but he never embraced the darkness. No. no. Uh, the darkness, the worst thing was like, you know, ladies. Yeah, the the worst thing for him as a upper middle class and then wealthy man was like, oh man, it's so distracting to think about pussy every once in a while. <laughs> like, honestly, that's his biggest problem in life. Wow, you, you must would, suck. You could never find any evidence of any political event in his work, no. which, considering how much is going on in it, is shocking. That you never see an image of a politician, you never see an image of a cultural icon. No, you never see an Everything image of a historical event. Yeah. It's out of time. Yeah. Which is like the neutrality. Yeah, the the problem that I have is always the neutrality. I don't know. It's and just that- a question of how intentional that is, and you don't really know. Like, I think he's a smart guy, but I do think he lives in a bubble. So it's it's an open question yeah. as to whether he's doing that as a matter of course. Like, maybe I pick images that never take you to a specific moment. Yeah. Because that's not how mind works. Okay, but that's not how the world works. But that's not the responsibility of painting. You could make that argument, I think. Pretty definitively that if he's doing that type of withholding to keep it placeless, not timeless, but placeless all the time, that's deliberate. 
it's deliberate, but it's out of touch and doesn't even speak to the time that it's made, which absolutely. is what I have a problem with. That's absolutely a good criticism. That's correct. Yeah. Like that, I uh, like so. But you have to be careful because what's happening to contemporary art now is that it's just taken on basically a documentary function. Like, but a lot of things look like they could be made anytime now. Though this is the this is the problem that I have of. with the like rise of figuration. It's like you're not really learning new tricks. It's just the subject matter is the only thing that seems new, but this has been happening all the time. Like, you know, I don't, I don't really, we love Marsden Hartley. Don't we folks? No, we don't like No one looks at those and goes cool. Or we go cool. I want to make painting like that. And you're like, why you don't, you don't, what? Well, like, what makes Marsden Hartley interesting is that he was, like, a gay man that served in World War One, One. like, yeah. watched all of his friends die. I mean, it's interesting to talk to you on this level about things because right there in that statement, like, I'm inhabiting a position that I usually wouldn't defend, which is that you should separate the art from the artist mm-hmm. and that, like, their biography doesn't matter that much. <laughs> but I do think that, like, an artist's background does infuse their work with a certain kind of vitality and imperceptible or like intuitively perceptible feeling well it's that that someone working now doesn't get to earn simply because they copy the style yeah it's like it's a matter of like what what you know it's the full like classic example like the resin debt like what is why why is why is this being brought into being well i just really like this thing from the past but i just want to make it new again you're like Okay. That's called nostalgia, and it's nice to feel sometimes, but you don't want to live there. Ooh, wow. Let's just go back in time. You just say that to your younger self and then see how the future changes. Well, I worked my way through it. Yeah, I know. You know? But like That's how I know. I know. That that Yes. But like I, I think like I don't think uh you know what's out in the world right now is on that level of self awareness. Again, the conversation we had about was it off mic or on mic about capitalizing? I think that was on Mike. That might have been the last after show, which hasn't oh. come out yet. Oh, okay. But it will. Yeah, but the idea of like, oh, these narratives have always existed. Now we're just capitalizing on it. And you're like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, listen to yourself. And it's like, no, they never, no one, no one who's experiencing success, which again, David Sully being successful very young, probably never like had that echo chamber back to be like, what am I actually saying? Right. That's why the criticism of him is slightly different in that he's just out of touch. Yeah. It's not so much that his work is inauthentic, which I think is why I can still vibe with it. Like, yeah. I do believe that whatever he's doing, it's earnest. It's just on a different plane, you know? Uh, maybe it's not earnest, but it's authentic. I, I won't qualify it beyond that. It just does seem like the expression of a mind in a very as close as you can get to pure way. I think, no, I mean, I, I, I don't think you misspoke by saying it's earnest. I think it's very earnest, but like, you know, earnestly depicting, you know, the 40% earnestly class, depicting you know, like, yeah, problems of the Hamptons. It's the re- same problem that a lot of artists of his generation have like Julian Schnabel and Eric Fischel, where yeah. it's like, eventually you're just painting Steve Martin's like naked hog. Yeah. Uh, you know, in Montauk. And it's like, this doesn't have anything to do with anything. Even though you're a smart guy and you're like trying to connect all these dots, like no one else gives a shit. Like, what are we supposed to, the ennui of Brooke Shields is interesting to me. Yeah, right, right, right. No, I'm like, bitch, get out of the pool with that $3,000 dress. Get out of the pool. 
What are you doing? Why are you watching that dog drown? What are you doing? Get get out of the pool, ma'am. Like, it just kind of, like, these are not, you know, problems for the world. They're problems for just that person. Right. And it's like, ooh, maybe that's not the way. When that know? gets on display too much, it starts to become embarrassing. I think a yeah. lot of the 80s artists are going through this. Where they're not maturing in the same way that artists of the generation before them maybe did. Yeah. Where you get to like late Cy Twombly and it starts to get day glow. And you're like, whoa, in your old age, you're like having fun. Well, it's fun and it's easier to see. And late Jasper Johns gets interesting. Late Rauschenberg was really austere and like serene. Yeah. In his way. Um, late de Kooning, even as he was going crazy, got very spare and like virtuous virtuosic yeah like the 80s artists i don't know they're going through it a little bit because i because much like our parents you know like imagine think about your parents and like the world that they mostly grew up in and then became adults in and then it's like 9-11 financial crisis covid like they can't make heads or tails of how fucked up things are yeah because most of their life was good and I kind of think even the 80s artists that are insulated from any real material consequences of all these problems are having the same conflict where, like, they can't deal with this shit. No. They're not responsible for it. At least somebody like Gerhard Richter was, like, kind of like, yeah, the world's been, because he's German. Yeah. He's like, the world's been bleak since way before I was born. It's going to get worse. Yeah. And that's sort of his through line. So all of his work will be kind of interesting for the rest of his life. Even I mean, though even he is is kind of facile and not that interesting at this stripes, point. The stripes, the stripes, yeah, stripes are bad. Not great. He discovered computer too. He discovered oh, when he discovered computer and was like, I can make great, great mirrorless things. Great, right? We love to see that. Oh, I discovered computer and now I can make stripes that are real big. Oof. You know what they are? They're like boomers posting on Facebook. Let's just take computer away, away from, from the, the old people. I think and so. Maybe they would. I mean, yeah, they're making animated videos. We're making them. NFTs now, folks. We're old people making NFTs. Like, yeah, that's embarrassing. That's so embarrassing. That's a that's a stain on your reputation, honestly. David Sally, if you're listening. We know you are. Yeah, we know you are. Can we please come to your Fort Greene place and take the iPads out of your trash can? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I mean... Jesus Christ! Yeah, the—that's hmm. where all the iPads went. That's true. Can't buy a fucking iPad and all of. I'm still depressed about not getting iPad. I'm still depressed that I got swindled by a Eastern European woman at a fragrance counter. Yeah, that's right. Oh. Do you want to go to Williams of Sonoma? I do want that peppermint bark. <laughs> I regret not getting it. I should have gotten it. I know. I told you you should have gotten it. Well, we all make mistakes. We all have things that we regret. Um, you know, still regret the Frisco melt. It was kind of sad looking. Anyway, <laughs> should we, yeah, should we stop? I th- Yeah, I think before we get wistful about going to Westchester. Yeah. Bye. Bye.